Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Good evening, dear listeners. Tonight, my guests are directors Jerry Casagrande and Dan DeLuca of the award-winning family comedy adventure film On the Wing, which follows the adventures of a 16-year-old heir to an oil fortune and also his friends. Now, they've got a full of plans to slaughter bald eagles. And the plan is basically uh, there is oil underneath a refuge. And they've got to get in there and make things right. Now, that film stars TV legends Corbin Burnson and also Shirley Jones. The film is also available out there on Amazon. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And in the second half of the show, I'll have actor and screenwriter extraordinaire Lawrence Whitener, writer and director of Last Dog Standing. So now I see Jerry and Dan are on the line, so let me bring them on in. Thanks for having us. Good evening. How's it Welcome going? to the show. Good to be here. Absolutely. All right. So, Who's Jerry, Jerry, I'll start with you. So... What made you decide to write this story? I mean, like, what inspired it? Uh, so mostly three things, which are my three kids. Um, so I, I've got a – right now I've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 10-year-old. When I first started writing it, they were six years younger than they are now. And I said, I want to write something funny that my kids will like. Um, and that was – that was really the main motivation. I just sat down and said, let me write something for them. And then um, I, and I wanted to have a nice uh, positive message about taking care of the earth. And so um, I, uh, that, that's sort of where it came from. I looked at a couple movies that I liked and that my kids really liked. One was Hoot, um, which is uh, based on the Carl Hyacin novel. And it's about kids who set out to save some owls from an evil pancake house. And, um, and uh, so you can see some parallels there. We're, we're setting out to save eagles from um, a, an evil oil developer. Um, and, uh, and then there's a movie called Holes, uh, which is also based on a novel and a really good movie. And that had an element of like some fam- like a kid redeeming his family legacy. And um, so there's a little bat- bit of that in On the Wing. The whole movie starts back in the 1890s for about five minutes. And then it fast forwards right away to present day. And the kid, um, the main character there, ultimately will set out to, and I won't give you a spoiler alert, he will set out to sort of redeem his family legacy. So uh, those two movies were pretty inspirational, making making kids laugh and getting a good message out there. Yeah, so now, Dan, how did you uh, get involved in the project? Well, you know, uh, honestly, I just walked through the wrong door. I was trying to find the bathroom. <laughs> And the next thing you know, <laughs> well, um, a tad bit more involved in that, a mutual um, friend of, of mine and Jerry's, uh, I had worked with him some years earlier on a project, and uh, he recommended uh, me to Jerry, and I sat down. Jerry wanted to meet. I met with him. Um, he told me about the project. I was, you know, my my interest was piqued, and, and I said, well, let me read the script. I'd love to read the script. And uh read the script, and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. Um, then I proceeded to meet with Jerry and, and said, yeah, I'll be happy to help you out on this. Um, 
and we have to cut about 20 pages. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it started. <laughs> and, and 20 locations, too. You know, the, the, the film originally had this great scene on top of a train roof, and Dan was like, my friend, that ain't going to happen. Even though we scouted a bunch of train roofs down in Richmond, uh, we just couldn't pull off the, tra- the moving train. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that was... Uh, uh, we we just had had that that incident, you know, where we lost a a crew member um, in the industry, and uh, you know, with the train incident, and you know, trains were were off limits, and still probably yeah. are. So, yeah, yeah, Dan, because uh, you know, in watching the film, there were some good locations. So, talk a little bit about that. How you guys were able to get such wonderful locations? Well, I, we have to give kudos, I think, uh, to the uh, the film commission in Virginia. They they Absolutely. really uh, they they came out and and uh, helped us out tremendously. Um, St. Joe's Villa was was one of the locations that they brought up, and that's where uh, an extraordinary amount of the film is actually taking place. Even though it it, it doubles probably for what Jerry, maybe five or six different locations. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that one location. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, uh, some of the some of the stuff set, set back uh, uh, in the um, eighteen what was it eighteen nineties, Jerry? Yeah, eighteen nineties. Yeah, eighteen nineties. Yeah, so it's I... actually on, on Jerry's cousin's farm, um, out, outside of Richmond. And of course, there's the state house uh, down in Richmond uh, that uh, again the uh, film commission um, helped us set up. That was uh, they they really went all out for us. We can't can't give them enough kudos. Amazing, amazing. So, Jerry, so talk about your casting. How did you approach? Well, we um, so you know the casting was in in part uh, budget driven. We were a low budget film, but Dan and I agreed from the very get go that we wanted you know if we we wanted to get at least one big name talent in there, and um, so and we figured that would be an adult. So we for the um for the uh, main adult role of Senator Jeremy Ryburn, we put out a national casting call. Um, and also for either the uh, the role of um, uh, Senator Atkinson, who is one of the villains, or for Grandma, we put out a casting call for a female, and we received hundreds of responses. And um, Corbin was right at the top of the list of the men, and Shirley Jones was right at the top of the list of the women. Um, you know, we also received uh, there were there were a couple other notable folks there um, in that, and I'm gonna blank on their names right now, but. Um, you know, like like Tim Matheson was in there among the men, Eve Plum, and some women who were like in uh, some '80s uh, TV shows were on the women's side. But um, and and you know, Harry yeah, Hamlin was Corbin, on there. Was Harry Hamlin on there? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so so we uh, well, but we we jumped on Corbin, and um, he was very excited to do it. He he read the script um, early on. He does a lot of family films and. So we brought him on pretty quickly. Uh, Miss Jones as well came on pretty quickly. And then with all the other parts, um, sort of two things. We put out a casting call, and we received hundreds of resumes. Dan and I sifted through them and sifted through the headshots. And then you know, narrowed each part down to about six uh, candidates. And then we asked those folks for videos. We sent them aside from the script, and, um, and then we went from there. And then Dan's got a great network of um, sort of DMV actors, uh, Ken Arnold, Kevin Jiggetts, Mary Agnes Sheeran, Donald M., Dan Franco. Um, and then I've got yeah. folks, Suzanne Martin and Eric Harrison and a few others. And we pulled 
a lot of those people. So there's a lot of local talent in there as well, which is just great. Yeah, it, it, we, we uh, definitely had a lot of people that we knew we could rely on and just, you know, bring right in, not have to go through the casting process. We've worked with each, you know, all of these people before multiple times. And, you know, you've heard the names, you've met the people. So uh, around this area, they're, they're, they're all pretty well-known actors. Oh yeah, and the uh, absolutely the young people are three. The three or three main young men in it were all Virginians, uh, and then one other young man was from sort of from Jersey and L.A. And then the women were from a, a little farther flung. A couple from New York, one from Houston, um, and uh, but they were all. It was super to bring them all into Richmond, and uh, and we really just had a great great cast. Although Patrice yeah. was actually a DC native, yeah. Oh yeah, Patrice is a DC native, right? She was in New York when yeah. uh, when she was living. And now in she's York. in LA, yeah. but she's a DC native. You're right. A yeah. wonderful group of so of, now, of young uh, actors. Jerry, there there was a definitive activist theme in the film. Now, how important was it for you to include that into the story? Uh, yeah. uh you know, for me, it was pretty important. I, I'm a little. Um, wonky and i definitely have my political preferences and and i think climate change is a really significant problem and so you know part of it is living in dc so you know it's just a political part of the world and so i thought if these kids are coming to dc um this movie is going to have a political message so um you know and at some point early in the writing i decided to make the kid the son of a senator and that was the lead into making you know to having a bit of policy right there at the end of the film um and so the movie is definitely trying to make a statement that um, we need to deal with climate change right now um, and to switch to renewable energy right now. Uh, so that, that was, that was pretty important to me. Yeah. So Dan, I saw a little bit of boss hog from the Dukes of Hazard in your character, <laughs> Kirk E. Diver. It was funny. So how did you develop the character? Uh, well, first let me correct you. That's via pass. Uh, it's French. Um, and that is that 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 is that is a little bit of boss hog there that's that's where it comes from you know seeing uh actually some of boss hog and 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 some of the smoky and the bandit kind of uh uh sheriffs out there um and it's it's kind of a combination of those guys who kind of in that disney-esque kind of world that uh that this character comes from. He's an evil character. He's a bad guy, uh, but you love to hate him uh, because he's crazy. <laughs> and, um, you don't want to make him so evil that the kids aren't are, are going to be scared of him. But you you want yeah. you want them to know that that you know he's doing some things he shouldn't be doing, and and all right. the physicality goes along with it. The the accent, uh, um, you know, all the nuances of kind of that quirky quirky character. Um, go with that. It's, it's, it's fun to play. Those are those are the most fun roles to uh, to to really play. You know, when you can you can really kind of go uh, no holes barred. Uh, and uh, Jerry just kind of let me go. I told him, you know, from the get go, he asked me <laughs> to play the role, and I said, Jerry, let's say right now you're going to have to re- reel me in because you know <laughs> I, I go, I step on the on the pedal, and and I go full force and. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Jerry ever reeled me in. <laughs> Maybe that is to say. Um, well, you know, in, in an early right. in an early draft of that script, uh, well before I met Dan, that character's name was Oscar Foster, 
And then I was sitting <laughs> watching another movie with my son, and he was just giggling and giggling. And I said, my goodness, my character is not funny enough. And I thought, what can his name be? And, you know, and I thought of um, – I think it's in Mel Brooks' History of the World. Harvey Kaufman is like Count the Money. And, uh, and he's always like, no, it's Demonet. It's Demonet. And that was one of the things that helped, helped me to Dirk's diaper. Uh, so yeah, pair, anyway. Jerry. And, and, that, and that joke, I mean, that joke dominates the movie and everyone who sees it, sees it says it's the up hair. It's the up hair. So <laughs> the up hair. <laughs> I like it. Play on words. So Jerry, so talk a little bit about your distribution plan. I know it's like been out, I think it's out in Walmart too. So what, what was your, your approach to uh, distribute the film? Well, so you know, the distribution is a uh, is a complicated business, and um, and this is my first film, so I'm a rookie at it, and uh, it's Dan's third or fourth film, um, and so I look to Dan for a lot of advice on it, and then we also sort of you know we we shopped it around, we um, ended up with two good distribution offers offers, one from um, Cinedyne, which is a pretty large company, one from a smaller company called Indie Rights, and in the end we went with Indie Rights. Um, basically on a, a trust level, because, you know, I think for filmmakers out there, maybe the scariest part of the whole thing is distributing it because there's so many horror stories about how filmmakers never seen a dime um, once, once they get into distribution. And so we, um, you know, uh, Dan knew uh, Linda Nelson, who is the head of Indie Rights, and she's a wonderful person and um, has been a great distributor for us. And, uh, and Dan said, you know, I trust her. And so uh, we went with her. And so she's done a great job of getting us onto a number of platforms. We're on Amazon. In fact, we're on Prime. If you have Prime, it's free to watch. If you don't have Prime, it's like two bucks to watch. Um, you can get it um, on DVD now, which is perfect in time for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, available on Amazon.com on DVD. It's available at Barnes & Noble. Dot com and in some Barnes & Noble stores, and if it's not in your Barnes & Noble start store, just ask them for it, and they'll get it for you, and you can ask them to get a couple extra copies for the store. Um, and uh, it's also on, like, Google Play. It's on iTunes. It's on Hulu. And uh, there's so many platforms. It's on most platforms that you might look for. So um, – and, and then the DVD's out. And one very cool thing on the DVD that you do not get by streaming it is Dan and I um, – sat down and did some uh, director commentary on the film. So you get to hear nice. our brilliant, brilliant insights into the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in little two-minute segments, there are about half a dozen two-minute segments in there where we talk about something from the movie while, while we're watching the movie. And, you know, Dan's a pretty funny guy, so it's pretty funny stuff. And there's some uh, DVD extras as well in there. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple, some blooper stuff, and and some other uh, little little drag stuff. So take a look. Yeah, it's, music it's, videos. Yeah, it's really worth the, you know looking at the DVD extras. Nice, nice. So Dan, talk about the importance of actors uh, creating their own projects. You know, uh, years ago, I, I uh, you know moved up to New York, uh, studied acting, and. Uh, uh, kind of uh, hit the pavement and went from place to place to place to place. And, uh, um, you know, with pretty much the same amount of success everybody else has, which is far and few between uh, when you do it that way. And then 
I decided, well, you know, I will come back, write my own stuff, and uh, start making my own projects. Because, in essence, if you look out there at a lot of the uh, the filmmakers you see or actors you see out there, a lot of them did the same thing. Uh, and anyone from you know, we're from Billy Bob Thornton, you know, to uh, everybody that was that was in uh, uh, Mall um, Mall Rats. I'm sorry, um, um, Clerks and uh, Brothers McMullen, and so yeah, you know, all these yeah. guys were going out there and, and making their own films. And uh, you go back to Scorsese, and he did the same thing. And so my thought was, well, you know, if if I can either spend time hitting the pavement or I can spend time actually creating a project. And I just, I'm not the type of guy that likes to go from place to place to place for auditions. Um, I'm happy to be, you know, called, but for, for, you know, smaller roles, I, I, I have a tendency not even to waste my time if I can be more productive elsewhere, which is with writing and producing. And, uh, you know, as Jerry said, that's one of these, one of my, one of my fourth film, feature film. Um, so I, I've been successful at producing uh, multiple films out there and being part of uh, a lot of projects um, and building a whole cadre uh, around of, of actors and uh, also other producers and crew um, that, that I love to work with. And, you know, I believe vice versa that, that whenever I call them up, they'll say, yes, I'll work with you. And, Whenever they call me up, I say, yes, I'll work with you. Um, and it's never about money. It's never about um, is, is this a good project. If I know they call me, it's a good project. They know if I call them, it's a good project and it's worth doing. They don't even have to ask, and, and I don't have to ask them. And, you know, over the years in the area, uh, I, I've, I just I, there's a ton of great talent out there. And, and not only this film, but other projects I've done uh, are kind of showing, showing off that talent as well. William, I, I want to um, suggest another um, podcast for you. Dan, um, since On the Wing, has completed one other film, and there are about a half uh-huh. a dozen On the Wing act- actors in that film. It's called The Night Watchman. So another podcast, right. um, you should get Dan and, and his uh, partners together on that one. Oh, absolutely. Very, very yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that film. As a matter of fact, the new Yeti uh, premiere a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. That's that's correct. We won the uh, best feature down in, in Atlanta at our premiere um, at the Barrett Alive Film Festival, and now we're on a um, a six uh, six city tour in, in in Germany in January uh, for the. Uh, oh Tennessee wow! Film sweet, sweet. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going to have to uh, yeah. have uh, some of the cast on the show there. That that's because uh, I yeah, saw the, the trailer and I was just blown away. <laughs> Same guys in in this film, and and the thing is, you know, with these people that you work with, you know they have the talent to stretch. You know, with the, the beginning of this film starts in the 1890s, and and we have Dan Franco uh, in it and on the wing, uh, and you know he goes from doing that to this very quirky, crazy character um, on on uh, uh, in, in the Night Watchman. And the same thing with Kevin Jiggets is a very proper professor in on the wing. And, and he converts uh, in, in, you know, in, into a totally new character, as well as Ken Arnold, uh, you know, um, and uh, Donald Dim, and, and, and it's just this this group of, of guys that we've 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 kind of uh, worked together with. We we know that they can they can do whatever role that that we uh, we uh, um, ask them to do. And it's and one of the things is you know we always kind of uh, push them as far as we possibly can. Because one of the best things about writing and directing and producing is 
you can put your friends through torture. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they want to help you. So they <laughs> and I don't think we put them through torture on, on the wing. In fact, you know, it was, it was probably the first film uh, that I've ever worked on that everybody that came on set in the morning was as happy to be there the first hour as they were the last hour. Um, and, uh, and I got to say that, that, that goes to, you know, Jerry, kudos to him and, and all the cast and crew that were involved. And again, you know, it's this group of people that we've all worked with before. So, man, we're just happy to hang out with each other. And if we can act and produce and direct and write and, and shoot um, at, at the same time, then, you know, it doesn't get any better than that for us. Yeah, or live, live in the dream. I mean, it's a very fun job. So, um, yeah, it doesn't get any better. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, now, Dan, who decided who would direct what scenes in the movie? Because, you know, you're co-director. So how did that work out? So it worked like this. Um, you know, Jerry uh, had approached me with it, and uh, I, I, I think Jerry can stop me if I'm wrong. His first intent yeah. was was yes, maybe to direct, and then he decided, well, maybe I don't, I don't, I'm not very comfortable with the technical portion of it. Um, and so he asked me so if Dan, I would direct let me it jump with in, him. Let me, my, yeah, let, let me jump in for a sec. Uh, just a, a quick, uh, quick story was I, I was away on a school trip with my son when we were negotiating with Corbin Burnson, and uh, Corbin sent a note. Corbin's agent sent an email and it said, among other things, that one of the questions was who's directing the film. And so up to this point, I was planning on directing it. And I thought, my God, like, I'm going to tell Corbin Burnson that Jerry Casagrande is directing it. And who am I? I've never directed a film before. I've just I've written stuff, but I've never directed anything. And so I, and then that led me to think, I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and on the first day on set, I, I, I won't know whether to say action or cut or what to do. And so I was laying in this bunk bed with my son uh, just above me thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I thought, Dan, <laughs> and, and together Dan and I can do it. And, uh, and so then I asked him the next day, I think, and he was, he was all on board for that. So, again, to take it off from there. No, actually, I wasn't, Jerry. My first word, <laughs> let me correct you. <laughs> I basically said, Jerry, you don't need me to do this. I've got a good crew of people who will help you every step of the way. And, uh, but Jerry said he'd feel more comfortable. I said, I'll tell you what, the deal we struck was I will take care of all the technical stuff and you take care of the actors in the story. And, um, that's pretty much the way it worked out. Jerry took care of the actors and the story. Um, and you know, I said, let's change from, you know, uh, a 50 to an 85 to a, whatever lens we were going to use and set up whatever lights we needed and, you know, get whatever shots we needed. So I took care of the techie stuff and, uh, it seemed to have worked out uh, extremely well that that uh, that way, and and I think uh, the only time I had trouble directing was when uh, Jerry was on screen. That was probably the worst part of it. There <laughs> <laughs> was no one, no one to give the bad actor acting advice. Yeah, uh, you know, and although we say it's uh, it's co-directed, there was there is almost really a third director to it who was our um, director of photography, Stephen Lyons. That's right. and, and you know he yeah. he had so many creative suggestions that um, yeah. he, he could probably uh, to take on the title of uh, tri director or something. And that's why I was very confident to tell Jerry, you don't need me to direct with you. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad in the end that I did because I had a blast with Jerry doing it. Um, and I don't think there was one minute that we you know disagreed on anything that wasn't solved in 30 seconds. Um, yeah. If that. Um, so we, we pretty much agreed on everything from the get-go. And the beauty was Jerry's like me. 
you get up early and you work um, till everything is done. And that means you're working two, three hours after you finish shooting. Uh, and Stephen Lyons is the same way, the, the DP. And so, you know, we all got along famously. We knew this was our job. This, we would start, you know, as early as we could. Uh, we would finish as late as we possibly could because we actually were having fun the entire time. Yeah. Yep, it's all about having fun. All about having fun. So, now, Jerry, I know it won uh, you won it, Louis, the Louisville Internet Film Festival, I believe it was, Boston International, Alexandria. I mean, what other uh, awards has it won that I don't know about? Uh, so I think you, you hit our three festival awards, the Louisville International Festival of Film, Best Feature, uh, Boston Kids International yeah, Festival of Film, Film Best, festival. Best Feature, Alexandria Audience Award. Also in at the Maryland Kids International Film Festival, we were the featured film um, of that festival, like the, the sort of the number one film. They, they didn't give out awards, but we were the, the primary highlighted film. Um, the, script was, the script was a finalist in the Richmond Film Festival, you know, before production. Um, it also, the script also won uh, or, or was the runner-up at the um, International Family Film Festival out in L.A. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that, that's. I think those are those are all the awards there. I, two script awards and three uh, three or four um, festival awards for the film itself. Um, and we've got now. I mean, we are we have 122 reviews I think on Amazon, and we're you know solidly above a four star there, like a 4.2 star. So people are really enjoying it out in the world too. So um, you know, it, it's uh, and then and Dan will tell you at the festivals it is so much fun because we nailed it in terms of who our audience is. Our audience is like eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids. And you watch those kids and they're cracking up and, and, uh, or, and having a good time or very immature adults like myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's also the okay. All right. Okay. Gentlemen. So I think we're about the end of this segment. Uh, so, uh, Dan talk about how fans can keep up with you and, uh, what projects do you have uh, coming up next? Uh, absolutely. Well, for, for On the Wing, you can uh, find us on Facebook, uh, onthewing.com. And uh, for my other projects, uh, you can uh, hit me up uh, either uh, at uh, uh, Dan Pender Films on, on, on Facebook uh, or uh, tnwmovie.com or look for The Night Watchmen. Um, also, I'm a partner with um, Ken Arnold and Robert Neil Marshall and Matt Servito of, of, of Sopranos fame um, in a new film production company called uh, On Deck Films. And you can look us up on uh, uh, Facebook as well. We're producing uh, Ed Sanchez's uh, film, um, which is currently entitled uh, Sinkhole 2, but uh, that's going to change as well. But uh, that's... Uh, uh, you know, Ed Sanchez from the, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Um, so we're moving forward with that right. next. And, uh, you know, hopefully more things with Jerry. And we have a slate of uh, about 10 different feature projects that, that are ready to go. So uh, we'd like to at least get half of them done in the next couple of years. <laughs> that, that's exciting. That's exciting. So talk a little bit more about how uh, actors can, uh, you know, put out their credentials to the production company. You know, uh, what, what I did, the same thing I've done with Jerry, you know, Jerry and I did, um, is 
we, for instance, when, when we were uh, producing on the wing, we, we put out a notice on Facebook. We put out a notice uh, on Dragon on Connects. Uh, we put out a notice uh, at the film offices. Um, so pretty much uh, those are the places that when we need somebody, we're going to put the information out there and please send all your stuff in. Um, uh, until we have a, a something in production, it's, it's kind of uh, not worth submitting stuff to us because, you know, we don't have anything. It'll just sit around. Uh, but right. when we do have productions, we, we, we always make sure that, you know, we get as much local talent as, as possible because that, that's uh, our main goal. Get as much local talent and pop in a couple of names from, from Hollywood, and we're good to go. There's no reason to bring everybody in from out of town. Nice, nice. Okay. So, Jerry, how about you? Uh, what's next? Uh, so, uh, contact information. Um, it just one quick thing. It's onthewingmovie.com. dot com, um, and okay. yeah, and we're on Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can reach me at jc at jerrycasagrande dot com. And I've just finished up a um, a political thriller with um, another writer named Greg Barrett. It's called Code, and it's pretty timely. It's about a, a Chinese operative who has hacked into the congressional email system, and it, by doing so, is about to lead the world, the uh, U.S. into World War Three. Um, and so it's got, you know, it's got international espionage, some Russians, some Chinese, some Americans. It's got hot emails. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's, it's uh, more of an R-rated film than a family film. Um, but and that is we just finished the script and we are now looking for uh, a producer for it. Um, and uh, so we'll uh, I'll keep apprised on that. And then I got to get back to pen to paper and uh, work on some new scripts as well. Um, so that's sort the of where it's revenge, my friend. The 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 revenge. Revenge. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, gentlemen, well, it was definitely great having you on the show. Definitely have you on again. Well, well thank you, William. Really again. appreciate it. All right. Have all. a great night. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. All right, folks, so now I'm going to have uh, actor and screenwriter Lawrence Whitener. Uh, his personal motto, I believe it's something along the lines of go everywhere and do everything. Now, he's uh, currently in about at least 10 projects, either in pre- or post-production. I know he's also the writer and director of the film Last Dog Standing. Uh, you can find out more about him at www.com whitener.com so I see he's on the line so let me bring him on in hey William good how evening. are you pretty good uh, pretty good just to let you know On the Wing is a funny movie I went to its premiere uh, one of uh, my good friends Mary Agnes Sharon uh, is lead in that film and uh, she she can play an <laughs> evil lady let me tell you holy mackerel don't mess with Mary. Yeah. Colin Mackerel's right. Yeah. She was like the Apple Dumpling Gang. She was like really funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's great. And uh, yeah. the the last dog standing, I had to do a name change after going out to Filmcom in Nashville. Um, I uh-huh. was surprised that, that the word dog uh, drew a negative reaction from a lot of the L.A. producers out there. Um, so I had to remarket it and actually send the uh, trailer back to the uh, editor to change the beginning and ending titles. Ooh. So, before, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, I had a 10-foot poster and everything out in Nashville, 
and it was originally Last Dog Standing with the uh, tagline, It's Better to Let a Sleeping Dog Lie. And it and it just simply, they wouldn't come near me. Uh, but I changed the title now. It's called The Handler. Uh, all dog trainers are called handlers. <clears throat> and with the tagline, he'll fix everything. So I haven't told you anything at all in my title and tagline. Right. Huh. So we'll we'll see how it goes this way. So it's actually uh on the web under uh www.thehandlermovie.com. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that that kind of gets into marketing and things like that. So I know that you've done a lot of uh acting. So how did you get involved in screenwriting? Well, if you go to my uh website on the very last page, you'll see a picture of the character actor actor Joe Higgins who was my father's best friend, and whenever he was in town, he would stay with us. I was born and raised here in D.C. And uh, Uncle Joe, back in the 60s and 70s, was on a lot of TV shows. He was the original blacksmith in the Rifleman series, and then he later starred with Chuck Connors again in the the first uh, evolution of Law & Order. It was called Arrest and Trial. Uh, and then he made his way uh, in Hollywood as the Dodge Sheriff in the early 70s uh, with his tagline, you and a heap of trouble, boy. Uh, he uh, got his character from Rod Steiger in in the Heat of the Night movie. And that was very successful for him. But as a kid growing up, and you're not quite sure what you want to do with your life, to have someone who would call you up and say, hey, uh, you can watch me on The Monkees. You can watch me on Doctari. Um, it, it was just, as a kid, it was like, you know, I know that person when you watch the television. And he died in 1999, and um, I had never really thought about going into the movie business. And uh, to honor him, I uh, got a part in um, Gods and Generals with Robert Duvall. And right. what I sent... Yeah, and what I since discovered was that you find out real quick the first time you're on a movie set if you ever want to be there a second time because there's so (laughs) much waiting and standing around. And the very first hour that I was ever on a movie set, we were shooting in uh, Harper's uh, Ferry up there, and um, I walked on the set and I only heard two words for one hour, smoke and and fans. And huh. smoke is what they blow into a room for, to make it look like an antique scene. And it's actually, it tastes like licorice. It's The smoke is so thick. But there was a battle between the lighting director and the cinematography. So they would blow smoke in with like these uh, leaf blower type uh, hand units. And then if it was too much, then the other director would yell fans. And the big, huge fans would blow it all out of the building. And literally one hour... All I heard was smoke and fans, and during that time, back in 1999, the lighting crew used actual reflector panels. It kind of looked like tin foil, so they yeah. had a mirrored surface. And so I could, I could actually see myself in the lighting panels uh, that the crew were putting up, and, and I realized, wait a minute, it really is smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. And, I got you. And I was, yeah, I was fascinated. And then when I was talking to Robert Duvall, one of my uh, thesis paper in college was the study between 
Grant and Lee. And when he walked into the set, I'm looking at Robert E. Lee. It was absolutely yeah. fascinating. So it was just a, a tremendous experience, and I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, we have that in common. We both have uh, autographs from Robert Duvall. I got his at Washington West Film Festival back in October. I see you got here one of he's playing one of my all-time favorite characters, Augustus McRae. That That's amazing. Yeah, no, he gave that to me way back in uh, 2000 after we finished uh, Gods and Generals. So uh, very yeah. nice guy, very quiet. Uh, do not piss him off. Because yeah. <laughs> he does, he does, he does curse like a sailor. Um, but yeah, no, it was you know, it was it, again. It's one of those experiences. Uh, I took my wife uh, years ago uh, onto a set, and she never wants to go back uh, because it, it is one of those experiences. You either love it or you hate it because there is so much standing around uh, and just waiting, 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 and then it's all of a sudden, boom! You know, you better be on your mark. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so I know you talk with uh, Mark Lap. I mean, you work with uh, Mark Lapadula on uh, yeah, for- screenwriting. So talk a little bit more about your process, how you come up with your structure for your story. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're asking me and not Professor Lapadula. Holy miracle. Uh, he <laughs> is a taskmaster. But, no, the, it, it was interesting. I loved writing all through uh, school. And when I got my first degree – I tried to get a job as a writer, and literally I got this huge stack of rejection letters. For I, I couldn't even get an editorial letter published, and oh, no. so I went. <laughs> so I went middle of the road, and, and I did what a lot of people do sometimes: that you give up on your dream. And so I, I went to work for a bank. That's about as far away as you can get from this business. And I was on that path until 1999 when I did Gods and Generals. And then I, I just did that part-time as an actor uh, because I did find it interesting until finally four years ago I was cast in David Baldacci's Wish You Well as his Fred the Bailiff. And if you know when you do a reverse shot in a courtroom, you're going to be shooting over the judge's shoulder. And where does a bailiff stand in a courtroom? behind the judge against the wall. Right. So when they did the reverse shot, I, I was out of the scene. So I went and sat in the jury room, which is also the production room. And while I'm sitting there, this very good looking gentleman walks in and I'm reading the book because, Hey, I'm in the movie. I should read the book. And I look on the back flap and I'm looking at David Badalchi and we start <laughs> talking. And by the time we finished, we found out not only did we graduate, from the same university with the exact same degree. But while there, we participated in the same sport, wrestling, under the same coach. Uh, David and I are five years apart. Now, to have that many five different comparisons, it was, it was pretty interesting. But then it went into the Twilight Zone, where we found out we both went to UVA to study law. And then afterwards, we moved to where uh, I currently am, Springfield. He, he now lives in McLean. And we were taking our two dogs to the same vet for 20 years. So wow. we were literally, literally living uh, a mile apart and yet had never met until we, uh, we were in that scene. And if I hadn't been the bailiff, we never would have talked. And at the end of our discussion where I'm looking at this guy that really, for all intents and purposes, 
we were Corsican brothers. And I just looked at him and I went, David, if you can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and he started <laughs> laughing. And so I immediately came home and signed up with Professor Lapidula, who's been at Yale for 18 years and also co-teaches at John Hopkins in Baltimore, and hooked up with him and began the process of learning because it is a very specific process of writing a screenplay. And it's just been a wonderful experience. Uh, that's what I do. I wound up retiring early from the school system I was working for. And for the past three years, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, I just sit at my computer and and type. Yeah, lot, lot, lots of discipline. That, that takes a lot of discipline. Uh, for me, it's not discipline. I just absolutely love do it, uh, doing it. I mean, I, I, I dream plot points so that when I wake up, I know where to go. I've got uh, uh, 10 scripts that have been registered WGA, six of which are copyrighted. I have another five in the works. And whenever I hit a, a block on where to take the story on one script, I just switch to a different script. And it's just, I absolutely love it. And as uh, Mark will tell you, no writer has a style until they sell a script. So um, <laughs> it's an ongoing process. But it, it, it's, it's very difficult. You really cannot get um, into Hollywood without an agent. And getting an agent is just absolutely amazing. Now, now Mark's students are the authors of The Hangover. You may have heard of that. Right. And uh, 500 Days of Summer and The Wedding Ringer, which was out in theaters last year. Um, but his greatest success story is Creighton Rothenberger, who wrote Olympus Has Fallen. Now, it took nine years for Creighton to sell his screenplay. He moved to L.A., which is what Mark wants me to do, but he moved to L.A. He couldn't even get an agent. And if he mm. did get an agent, the agent would fire him after a couple months saying, nobody wants to read your stuff. But he mm. kept at it until he eventually... Uh, sold the rights for one year um, to Olympus Has Fallen, and then that studio heard that, uh, you know, scripts, uh, stories are stolen all the time. You only have to change literally 30% of the dialogue, and it becomes a new script. And so Sony, Sony uh, they heard that Sony was making White House Down, which in my opinion is a horrible movie. It's such a mm -hmm. ripoff. But uh, yeah. once the studio heard that, I think it's Millennium, uh, once they heard that, that, you know, Sony, if they're making a movie, it's going to be released. So once they heard White House Down was being made, they rushed into production. They got Gerard Butler to change his schedule. And they finished Olympus Has Fallen in record time. It comes out and is a smash hit. Um, so here's Creighton for nine years. He can't get anybody to even talk to him. He sells mm. the rights. He's, he just sells the rights for 12 months to Olympus Has Fallen. Then it's made into a movie. Suddenly the studio comes back and pays him in advance to write three sequels. There, there's going to be, you know, uh, London Has Fallen came out this past summer. And they had some problems with uh, having to replace the directors, which always changes how the uh, uh, film ends up. But they've already paid him for two more sequels. 
And while he was working on that, Sylvester Stallone came to him and said, hey, can you write Expendables? So it was, nice. it was amazing. For nine years, it's all the guy can do to pay his bills. And then literally in 12 months, he becomes a multimillionaire. And that's yeah. that's just the way it is. And, but one of the uh, key phrases in Hollywood is that if you're not in, you're out. And, and no one opens any doors for you. So you have to figure a way to get noticed. That's why I produced a award-winning short up in New York with Kathy Moriarty. And then I came up with this premise of The Handler. And I'll be shooting another short in January, next month. Um, so you keep plugging along until someone can f- finally says, hey, aren't you? And yes, and then hopefully you can go to the next level. Yeah, yeah. So talk about this uh, project with uh, Kathy Moriarty. Oh, it's called uh, The Story of Milo and Annie, and you can actually watch it on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it won the Memphis Film Festival. Um, but that was just a fascinating experience going into the production end of, of movies, and I was just the AP. But that was interesting, and then I became the EP, executive producer, when we shot the uh, proof-of-concept trailer for uh, Last Dog Standing slash The Handler. And then going out to Filmcom, and you know, which is at the Nissan Stadium in, in Nashville. And it's a yearly production. It's the closest you're ever going to get to L.A. Uh, on the East Coast. And you've got 600 producers that come in there. And it's just this smorgasbord of all the different uh, films that people have had their passion allowed them to make. And uh, the producers come in and, and, and are looking for distribution deals. So it was just fascinating just to be there with 83 other uh, exhibitionists and to see the quality of films. So there is a lot of passion in the indie world. Unfortunately, in the studio world out in L.A., uh, a lot of people don't realize that literally every single movie you have ever seen, every single one of them, has at some point been sued by somebody. That said, you stole my idea. Oh, yeah. You stole my idea. You stole my music. So I had one of the things you have to do when you go to Filmcom is you have to go out with the actual budget for your film, which is a there's different programs, accounting programs to use. But, you know, you've got a 23 page with a two page top budget uh, that shows exactly how much it's going to take to my and the handler would be one point three million, which is considered a low budget film. Eh. Yeah. Low budget, $1.3 million. But you have to be able to show to anyone who's interested in uh, producing, let alone distributing your film, that they can actually make money. And, yeah. and, and if, you, if you can't convince those people that this can actually make – we're not just going to break even. You can actually make a profit. No one's going to back you. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough business. A tough business. Well, no, that, and yeah. that's the key, so, that's no, the key word. Go ahead. No, that's the key word, business. Don't take anything personal in this business, just a business. Like uh, yep. <laughs> what what Macy's did to me two weeks ago. You can't take anything personal. Yeah, you told me that story. So for the benefit <laughs> of my listeners, talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the the whole key phrase in this business uh, yeah, this is what I tell new actors, is get noticed. That's why you have to go everywhere and do everything and talk to everybody. 
because you're just trying yeah. to get noticed. Uh, I have a very unique look. If you're looking for a homeless biker Viking, I'm your guy. Um, yeah. But I'm also I'm also an alternative Santa. And um, I went through a national audition for TV Land um, as Macy's Santa in a commercial. And it's approved. I'm cast. I'm booked. They bring me up to New York, all expenses paid. Uh, I have a fitting with, if, you, if anybody looks up Patricia Field on IMDb, you'll see that she is an award-winning costume designer. She did Guiding Light through the, all of its years. She did Sex in the City. And she got her nomination for an Oscar in Devil Wears Prada. So when I walk into the seamstress office, I see literally the world's most beautiful Santa costume ever. It's mm. all it's all real red silk. It's 100% white fur, gold lame trim, uh, gold bells around the sleeves. I put it on, and it was an emotional moment when I looked in the mirror because I really did see the real Santa Claus, and, and concentrate on the word real, the, a, the real Santa Claus staring back at me. So I, I'm pretty pumped up about doing the commercial. We're filming it at Macy's Herod Square store at closing. So I'm supposed to be there at 9. So I take a nap, and I wake up, and I get a call from my agent saying, you're wrapped. And I'm like, I'm still mm. in my hotel room. How can I be wrapped? And she goes, well, apparently there was a legal issue, and they have to use a real Santa's uh, Macy Santa, a real Macy Santa. And I'm like, where did this come from? So yeah. I, I had to, you know, so that's it. I mean, but she said, you're going to get your commercial rate. You're going to get paid. They paid for all your expenses. So, um, but that's it. You're, you're done. So I called the seamstress because I had her cell phone number. I said, what is going on? And she said, I don't know. They told us to, that we can leave. The suit's never, your suit that we made for you, custom tailored for me is not even going to be used in the shoot. It's going to stay in the plastic bag. They went into the store and brought out the store Santa. And okay. he, did the, he did the ad. And so the next day I called my contact in SAG New York, and I said, listen, I just want to know what happened. And he said, I'll have somebody call you back. Ten minutes later, I get a phone call from an extremely angry woman and the way she starts our conversation is uh, I pick up the phone, Lawrence Whitener, and she goes, why am I even talking to you? Mm. And I'm like, well, I don't know until you tell me who you are. And she said, I, she never gave me her name, but she gave me her title. She said, I am the director of Macy's Day Parade. And anything that has to do with the Macy's Santa goes through me. I said, okay. Are you the one who made the decision to to recast me literally minutes before the shoot? And I, and and I, you know, sometimes people lie, and you have to back them into the truth. And when I finally finished asking her all the questions, she had approved the script. She had approved it, but somehow I'd never told the studio, TV Land, that you can only use one of our pre-approved real Santas. Now, you know, I, I was class president at Fairfax County Police Academy in 2009, so I could have had the chief of police call her 
to give a reference, yeah. and b- having worked for the school system, I'd already been through the FBI. But, but this is a situation where a business decision is made like that. Now you're talking probably ten thousand dollars was spent in and everything paying Patricia Field. The Steamsters told me it took her six days just to make the suit. It had over two thousand dollars in fabric. Um, and then not only did they have to pay me, but they had to pay uh, the Macy's Santa to do the commercial. And if he wasn't a SAG member, which uh, SAG New York confirmed, they have to do Taft-Hartley on him so that he can join the union. So he would still get right. union wages. So you're talking about literally $10,000 that this, oops, you have to use one of our real Santas mistake cost the studio, but in the real business world, $10,000 is nothing to a studio. Right. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, it was a bitter, and they wouldn't even give me a picture because it's a trademark. Even though the suit was never used, never worn, doesn't appear, and is hanging in a plastic bag somewhere in a wardrobe department, uh, they would not even let me have a picture of me in the suit. So, wow, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's business. It's all about business. <laughs> but, the, but, but what I love uh, about the business, and that's what this is, what I love about the business of storytelling are all the stories you get to tell about the business. Because every time you step on a set, you get a story. I've worked with Ed Harris twice, great guy, very private. And he talks in verbal shorthand. I yeah. mean, he he does, he leaves out he like leaves out verbs and adjectives. Uh, so when you're talking, <laughs> you you better be on your A game because it's like turns around one morning uh, when we're up in New York filming Cymbeline, and he goes how how many? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm you know I'm not going to ask Ed Harris what are you talking about. So I go through it. Oh, I said projects productions. I said this is my. Uh, my 80th uh, uh, time being on a set. And he goes, wow, that's a lot. And I said, yeah, you want to hear my tagline? And Ed rolls his eyes, yeah, sure, what, you know, like this is going to be good. And I said, I'm the hardest working actor you've never seen. And Ed has, <laughs> Ed Harris, you don't see it because of the parts he plays in his films, but Ed Harris has an absolutely beautiful smile and an infectious laugh, and that just cracked okay. him up. So, yeah. uh, and I've worked twice with Ethan Hawke, very nice guys. Um, but it it is a business, and, and you have to just realize and when stuff like this happens. Uh, you know, I was in, uh, if you look me up on IMDb, the first three things that pop up are Batman 3, Iron Man 3, and Captain America 2. Guess mm-hmm. what? You will never see me in those films. Right. <laughs> I, I was on set, I was paid, I have pictures to prove I was there, but they cut my scenes, and you'll never see me. So, you know, uh, when do you know when you're in a movie? When you see it. Exactly. (laughs) But that's why it's exciting. After 17 years, a movie just came out on DVD, a beautiful movie called uh, Badge of Faith, that you'll see me as, uh, as a biker in that. And that's a that's a I do a lot of Christian films, and that's a choice I made years ago. And I, I was actually in New York last month. I was cast by James Franco, in his new HBO series The Deuce. 
and I'm cast as a hospital mental patient by by uh, James Franco, and I'm cast as a hospital mental patient, and I'm great. I, I think that's great because I won't be acting, right? All I got to do is just show up and be me, and I'm a hospital mental patient. And at the last, <laughs> literally at at two o'clock in the morning uh, of the day of the shoot, at two o'clock, I get an email that they've now switched it that I am a prison inmate. We're shooting at the New York Detention Center. There's going to uh-huh. be smoke on. What? There's going to be smoke on set. I have to smoke a cigarette, and now they're talking about nudity. And that's what? just something I won't do. And so I literally refuse to go to set. Um, but mm. it, 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 it's crazy. And so they didn't pay me. So that trip to New York was all on me. But, you know, it, especially what I tell female actresses, that uh, I said, you have to set standards. You know, and one of them is I just don't do nudity. I've turned down six films where they wanted me to be in a um, uh, in a, a, a men's club uh, scene, and I just those are not something I choose to do. But a lot of uh, yeah. that five five films that are coming out now on DVD, and you know that's that's nice to finally know that you can actually be seen in things. Right. So what, what's your take on violence in films? I mean, would you I – mean, you've played biker dudes before, so, I mean, what's your feeling on that? <laughs> well, uh, my, in Cymbeline, my uh, character's name is Knifey because I don't wear guns. Yeah. I wear all these knives. But as far as that, I mean, um, if you watch my, my proof of concept trailer, um, the, the character uh, shoots two of the bad guys, and that's ne- never been in the script. Unfortunately, I hired a director that I had to wind up firing because he went completely off book. Uh, we had a shooting script, and he just wouldn't follow it. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was stuck with that footage that I had to edit into the film because the character, the way I wrote it in the original screenplay, he never kills a single bad guy. He he hurts them, but he never kills them, because I don't think that's necessary. Um, you know, John Wick, uh, a buddy that I worked with in Cymbeline, he plays one of the cleanup crew in, in the movie John Wick. What is that film about? I mean, it's just how many times do I have to shoot a guy in the head before he's dead? Um, mm. So, you know, that's that's not for me. Nudity and extreme violence is just not something I think that it's, it's like a, a brand new actor when we talk about um, how to deliver your dialogue. And I explained to him there's a difference between screaming and delivering dramatic dialogue. How many times do you watch right. a movie and, and the actors are just yelling at each other? And that's not acting. Okay, You can do a lot more, and that's why I love film over, over theater, is that you, know, you, you live in the close-up. And you you talk with your with your eyes, and so you can say a lot with your face, without ever uttering a word. And that's what I really love about film. Yeah, absolutely. So talk a more about the business side. I know you're SAG AFTRA. So mm-hmm. do you think that's really forced you to to do a lot of travel to get work? Well, the, first of all, I started in 1999, and it was always my dream to become a SAG actor. And the movie Symbol, uh, Wish You Well with David Baudalci, that's what finally got me uh, bumped up to a principal role. And once you do that, um, 
they have to fill out what's called Taft-Hartley, which is about eight pages of paperwork. And that makes you eligible to finally join SAG, which has a $3,000 enrollment fee up front. And the the nice thing, when I first started, I mean, the first three roles that I got as a SAG actor, I got $1,000 for each role. So boom, the first three roles pays for being a union member. But then the world changed. When the economy collapsed, studios started opening up the, their independent branches, and everything started going non-union. And so I actually tell new actors now, you know, you may want to stay non-union in the beginning of your career so that you can do absolutely everything. Because once you become a SAG actor, you can only take on union parts. Uh, that's why I do Christian films, because that, that's crossing the line. Uh, Christian films, that's a, that's a matter of, of personal faith, and they can't really come after you for that. But I do, uh, you know, somebody asked me, how do you know when you're doing a Christian film? And my response is, it's easy. You, you don't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, but it, yeah, I just, uh, you know, the whole, the whole goal of any actor is to create a character to help drive the story forward. And if I don't think I can do that, I don't even audition for the role. Um, but that's, it's just something that's unique. Now, my, my, Love really has turned to writing. I absolutely love doing that. And every experience, if it's negative, can become a positive one if you learn from it. And the script that I'm working on right now is based on my experience at Macy's and how they treated me, and it's called Santa Wars. I've got four different Santas. Uh, in the storyline, and I have a scene, and it actually, it, we, we read it at uh, Mark's class this past Sunday, and he said, why don't you start the script with the actual scene of what you lived through with Macy's, them suddenly recasting you at the last moment, and so the script now opens up with actor Santa being told that's a wrap and to leave, and they bring out the, uh, and in this case, it has to be Starling Santa, you can't use the word Macy's. Um, so it's it's just interesting, but I love the script because the bottom line is, I haven't seen anybody do this storyline yet, Santa can fly, right? Yeah. He can fly He can fly around the world on a, on a super sleigh, and he can change his size to go down. So it's kind of like Ant-Man. He can go down chimneys. So what would happen if you really, really, really pissed off Santa? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on uh, page 25 of the script. A normal script is going to be around 100 pages. One nice. one minute per page. One minute per page equals one minute. One page equals one minute of film. Right, exactly. Okay, all right. So we're coming near the end here. So talk about. Uh, give me your top three favorite roles of all time and, and all the years you've been acting, what are, what are your, your top three? Well, n- number one has to be Cymbeline. I mean, uh, Cymbeline with Ed Harris, Ethan Hawke, John Leguizamo, Bill Pullman, Anton Yelchin, what a shame, Chekhov, um, oh, Dakota yeah. Johnson, Penn Badgley. I mean, to suddenly be upgraded and thrown into the inner circle where I'm shaking hands. One morning, Ed Harris turned around and he stuck his fist out. Now, you know what he wants, right? But after 15 years of being trained 
never talk to a principal actor, let alone touch them. I'm just staring at his fist, and I'm afraid to give him. So I wound up giving him a little baby fist bump. I mean, just barely touching <laughs> my knuckles to his knuckles. And he starts laughing, and he, he calls me a couple of names. And I'm like, hey, man, look, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm shooting with Ed Harris. I said, just shoot me, you know, because it's not going to get any better for me. So Cymbeline uh, uh, is right up there. Wish you well because of the friendship that developed between uh, David and I. We've, we've had lunch. I, I'll be going to his book signing uh, this Saturday. Uh, he, he's just a regular nice guy, as is Ed Harris, as is Ethan Hawke. Um, but I would say those are the two top ones, Cymbeline and then Badge of Faith, uh, which is out on DVD as we speak, is because of the storyline of how I got that part. How much time do we have left? Yeah, we'll, get, we'll, keep, we'll get plenty of time. Keep, okay. Yeah, we'll okay. Well, the, the irony is that I, I – um, and, and this is how the business works. This is why you've got to go everywhere and do everything. Is So I'm cast in uh, Wish You Well. And because of Wish You Well, I become SAG. And because I become SAG, I can then get cast in Cymbeline, and I play Knifey the Biker, Ed Harris's bodyguard. So the, one of the assistant casting directors for Wish You Well is doing Badge of Faith. And I don't even uh, audition for the film because they're shooting way down in Roanoke, which is about five and a half hour drive. And she says, really, there's a part you need to come down. There's another biker called Spike, which is the biker gang leader in the film. And so I go down for that. And then I come home that night, and uh, Booty calls me, and she goes, Larry, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, what did I do? And she goes, you had the part. You nailed it. They were going to cast you until right when you were getting ready to leave, you looked at everyone, said, have a nice weekend, and you smiled. I said, wait a minute, I, I lost the part because I smiled? How does that work? And she said, because after you left, the first AD turned to the director and said, no, he is too sweet. Mm. And, and, you know, I mean, an actor, uh, you can do any role. So they call me too sweet because I smiled. Luckily, the trailer for Simline had come out. And I sent it to the first AD and said, watch this trailer, because it goes from a close-up from Ethan Hawke to my character. It goes, boom, the camera pans over. And the director actually has me hyperventilating in that scene. So I, I look crazed, nutso. And so I sent the, the director for Badger, the first AD for Badger Faith, the Earl, and I said, you watch this trailer and then call me too sweet. Well, boom. They call me back and they say, you're cast as the second biker, Burley Biker. Mm -hmm. And so I go down and I spend two weeks for that. And now this is, again, one of those great stories you get to tell about the business. So they actually write another scene and I do that. And it's just fantastic when you see the film because it's so inspirational. It's about the uh, police officer, Brian Lawrence, in Roanoke and how the city rallied around him. But is anyway so i'm casting the film i do the scene and um my character didn't have a name it was just burly biker one and so i get an uh -huh. email from the first ad and he said listen you we, we've seen the dailies you've done such a great job we would like to name your character and you can choose the name you want to guess what the name is i told him 
Nancy. Sweet. <laughs> I said, you don't have to put two in front of it. Just call me sweet. So the actual, I've already seen the, been down for the premiere. When you see the credits, you'll see Lawrence Whitener as sweet, the burly biker. <laughs> but not too sweet. <laughs> not too sweet. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> very good. Very good. Okay. So we're coming to about the end here. So, um, quickly talk about uh, what you got coming up in 2017 and uh, how fans can keep up with you. Uh, again, my website is www.lawrencewhitener.com, and that'll take you right to my page and, and look at the pictures because, I mean, they are some funny pictures. And then you'll see on the last page uh, Uncle Joe on that. And then uh, com and you can see the concept for that in the trailer. And I tell you, in that trailer, I look like such a bad guy that if the camera can make me look like an action hero, it can make anyone look like an action hero. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've already been cast uh, to be uh, shooting a film called Nothing to Do. Um, yeah, that, we'll probably shoot that sometime in January, and then I'm shooting uh, my own play that I converted to uh, film at the studio nice. where I, I direct. We shoot that in January. And I got uh, uh, J.P. Vanderloo from, again, Wish You Well, uh, a yeah. very talented child actor. And uh, he'll be uh, playing the scene with me as well as with another actor, Donald Dim. So those are the two big things that are coming up in January. But, you know, it, the way this stuff happens is literally, boom, you know, can you be here tomorrow? And, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, so that's, that's how it goes. So who knows where we're going to be, but hopefully 2017, I turn the corner for both screenwriting and for this, uh, my anti, uh, dog fighting story, the handler. Um, and we'll see if we can take it to the next level in 2017. There you go. Take it to the next level. Okay. Lawrence, man, it's been great to have you on. I just thank you for coming on. Definitely. We'll have you on again. Thank you, sir. Just just yes. not for the Super Bowl show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, no. Keep that in mind. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Have Thank a good you. Night, Take man. care. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. So remember to do something for your career every day and break a leg. Good night. Looking for a show to see this weekend? Look no further than D.C. Metro Theater Arts. They've got reviews, Q&As with actors, and much, much more. Visit DCMetroTheaterArts.com. That's DCMetroTheaterArts.com. Under the dark you pacify me Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat on my heart, you drum inside me Somewhere my death Makes the sound no one can find I never met anyone like you 
You did. 